Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z, or in this case, Alpha to Omega. <laughs> I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Adam, do you hey, know, hey. we've been doing this podcast for, at this point, I believe it is four years and some change? Yeah. It's been, well, yes, definitely. Yes. It has been. Um... Is it friggin' weird that we are just uh, now getting to Age of Apocalypse, like talking about <laughs> it? Like we've we've <laughs> we've done we've done three different stories from Age of Apocalypse, but we've not talked about the the guts of Age of Apocalypse mm-hmm. yet. And I'm I'm here to tell you something, buddy. Age of Apocalypse is good. It is, it is, and I think I have trashed it in the past on the show. I um, don't remember. I humbly uh, <laughs> would like to say that I am 100% wrong uh, rereading these for these uh, stories for tonight's episode. Today's episode. It just is fantastic. So I'm really excited to talk about this um, and, uh, you know, really get into it because you're right. We've we've talked about Generation Next. We've talked about Gambit and the Externals. Um, we've done Legion Quest leading up to it. Did we we've did, done x-man oh, we did and we did x-man so you know we've been working our way through uh through the era in 1995 and uh today we're gonna really tackle like you said the guts uh with alpha and omega but the way we're gonna do this episode is a little bit different because of the way that we're gonna rank these right so, yeah, we had I, we had a lot of discussion between you and me on what we were going to do with this. In fact, we I think it was just a couple days before we were recording, we were DMing back and forth like do we do we cut it like this? How about this? Do we do we change it? And what we ended up saying is what we're going to cover on this is the core story of Age of Apocalypse. Uh that's Astonishing X-Men amazing x-men and then the alpha and omega stories mm-hmm. now originally we were just going to tag the alpha and omega stories to like astonishing i think it was and that as we kept rereading didn't feel right uh because astonishing is its own standalone story more or less same with amazing being its own standalone story so we said forget it what we're gonna do is we're gonna rank alpha and omega as one story and you know what? That was the that was the story that was suggested anyway. I think. Actually, I don't know what the suggestion was. Uh, I think the <laughs> suggestion might have been astonishing, but whatever. We're just doing okay. it all. And all that was suggested <laughs> by Patreon supporter Jay Van Veen. Uh, Jay went on over to Patreon.com/slash/comicsxf, uh, dug deep down to their hearts and pocketbooks, and tossed a couple of coins into our coffers so that we could keep bringing you this show keep bringing you all the great content that's over on comics xf and uh you know just just vibe really and we're gonna vibe yeah. in the age of apocalypse now <laughs> can i uh i want to i want to do a little bit of build up to this before we get into alpha i um, would love to hear your build up <laughs> well this comes from a weird place so um i i have a tendency to you know buy weird x-men ephemera and uh, right it's why recently... you do this podcast with me the other exactly. person on earth who loves doing that <laughs> so the, the person um, on earth who's bought a copy of tv guide from the year 2000 because there's a chris claremont <laughs> and salvador Roja comic in it it's not it's good, on my list so I uh, recently acquired um, the copy of February 1995's Disney Adventures magazine. Um, and I did a thread about this on my Twitter account if you want to check it out. But one of the That's things that Arthur mentioned... Stacy, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, one of the things it mentions in there is, is a, a reference to something called Alter X. A-E-L-T-E-R-X. And 
Um, I believe we have some some confirmation from Fabian Nicieza himself that that was the working title for this. Now, I brought this up on our uh, Slack uh, after you know I did my Twitter thread, and our Marvel resident Marvel expert Zach Rabaroff, who has read every Marvel comic that has ever been published, uh, suggested to me that Wizard Magazine had also used that title. Now. Um, he and I kind of did a little bit of detective work. I went back and looked at the the issues leading up to this 38, 39 and 40 of wizard magazine. And the buildup is huge. There's these back-to-back articles that are like, X-Men's going to get canceled. We're hearing rumors that all of X-Men is going to get canceled, right? So fans are starting to freak out. This is in the middle of Legion quest being published. And you finally get to wizard magazine number 40, Right, so keep in mind that people are actually reading Wizard Magazine at this point. If you're, it was a big deal. Comic books, right? And you open the comic, and the very first thing you see is some Silver Age X Men comics on fire, and then you flip the page to a two page spread of like some characters in shadow that kind of look like the X Men, all surrounded by flames, and then you flip the page, and it's all of the books. And their new names. And I just can't imagine, like, I I was not, like, 100% reading the books at this point, but people were going bananas over this. This was a huge event. This has never happened before. What's important to understand is that at this point, there weren't websites where you could look up the solicits. You didn't know what was coming. It was, what does Marvel Age say if you picked that up? And because I, Marvel Age was still being published by this point, though it was on its last legs, I think, uh, because other places like Wizard would say, "Hey, these are the hot new books that are coming out." So sure, if you were a shop owner, you would get the solicits that are saying, "Hey, it's this. Hey, it's this. Hey, it's this." But the general public isn't getting that stuff they don't know what's going on they're not hearing the rumors so it's a big swing and when the x-men books are the most fiscally successful thing marvel has in 1995 the even even the idea of shaking that up and risking any attrition (laughs) is a big swing huge Huge, because you're still in animated series territory, toy biz, you know, X-Men toys, you know, like flying off the shelves. This is kind of like, this is the, the acme of X-Men popularity in the, in the grander pop culture uh, cosmos, if you don't count like the movies. So, um, you know, this is a big risk. And it all starts with X-Men Alpha, which uh, I believe has, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what's what's interesting with how it started, even in the before this, uh, mm-hmm. this was, this was you know, Scott Lobdell and Bob Harris's kind of brainchild to kick this off, but they were actually inspired by an episode of X-Men, the animated series, One oh, Man's right. Worth, yeah. which just had the high concept of how, you know, what if... The, uh, you know, the X-Men's founder, Professor Charles Xavier, was killed. What happens if he dies in the past? And then how does how does all that keep going? Uh, they had, The X-Men writers had seen a early script of this and really liked the concept and started making their own take uh, for the summer. And it lined it lines up with the release. So, I mean, one of the things that the X-Men animated series did, especially at this point, was try and keep itself in line with the comics if it could or try mm-hmm. and pull things from the comics uh and one man's worth is a you know big example of that uh well it's a big example of it going the other way i guess uh, yeah is what i mean to say absolutely um, one man's worth is pretty good too go check like <laughs> people are going to tell you the entire animated series holds up it doesn't um but this this one where apocalyptic storm and wolverine team up with bishop and shard to stop uh professor xavier from getting killed by trevor fitzroy in nimrod um it's pretty good it sure is uh definitely worth checking out 
Um, so who's our creative team on our bookends here for Alpha and Omega? So let's start with Alpha and we'll swing back around to Omega. Right. Uh, so X-Men Alpha, uh, number one, the kickoff to Age of Apocalypse, a new world and new beginning. Uh, it's written by Scott Lobdell with dialogue by Mark Wade, uh, pencils by Roger Cruz and Steve Epting, uh, Tim Townsend and Dan Panosian, uh, ink, uh, each of those pencilers respectively. And right off the bat, we are introduced to this alternate universe version of Bishop, um, who we will learn has carried over his memories from the 616. And we just start getting a barrage of, you know, alternate universe versions of Unis, the untouchable. Um, we're getting the, this new lineup of the X-Men, which includes like Sabretooth and Wild Child. And it is crazy. It's so Age of Apocalypse opens on a mountain of skulls. <laughs> and the thing about Age of Apocalypse is it's a grim and gritty future. But also, it is more self-aware than I think people give it credit for or recall. Like, Lopdell knows what he's doing here, and he knows he has to keep it a bit light. I mean, one of the one of the things he does in this is bring in, oh, you know, like you said, a wild new cast. Uh, Magneto runs the X Men now. He's married to Rogue, uh, Iceman. Quicksilver, Sabretooth, Wild Child, Blink from Generation X, which, by the way, uh, the Phalanx Covenant stuff had just ended, a f- like six months before this. So the fact that mm-hmm. she died, like that's a that's an open. What if she didn't die? What happens right. to her then? And it yeah. becomes interesting. We have Storm and Nightcrawler, and then Morph, uh, who we'll talk about a bit more in Astonishing, but Morph, who is a brand more or less a brand new creation this it's they say oh well it was actually changeling that retcon character that died in two panels in the silver age x-men uh to <laughs> to convince us how professor x really didn't die which i think is freaking hilarious to pull such right. a weird deep cut um <laughs> but it's not the morph from x-men the animated series who kind of had like a a you know a base appearance when he wasn't transforming into other people this is a brand new character from whole cloth that later gets used in exiles um and is this very okay okay wait okay okay to be very clear this morph is not the morph that's used in exiles yeah i guess who is the same version in exiles (laughs) okay well only because exiles pulls several uh age of apocalypse characters including mm-hmm. Blink and Sabretooth. Uh, this is explicitly not the Age of Apocalypse morph that's in Exiles. None of that's relevant here. And honestly, it's not relevant there except for some weird plot where where they have to deal with, oh, um, this isn't morph, but it kind of is, and I don't know how I feel about that, says Blink. Anyway. <laughs> Well, to your point, though, there is, um, for all of the darkness, it uh, the illustrations here by Roger Cruz are sort of light, a little bit of cartoony. Um, these are big, bold colors that we're seeing on the page. And we are very quickly introduced to this world through a variety of different scene changes. So we get to meet the new X-Men. They get to meet the new Bishop. We get to meet Dark Beast. We get to meet this version of the Summers Brothers. We get to meet this version of Apocalypse. We get to meet this version of uh, Angel and Gambit. Angel is sort of running this this haven called Heaven um, that's sort of like a safe place. And it's the bar from Casablanca. He's he's yeah, he runs the bar from Casablanca. (laughs) And very quickly over the course of this, it's very readable. um, We're getting introduced to the corners of this universe and, um, you know, the premise of where we're going to go with uh, this crossover, which, you know, the structure of it is really interesting. Essentially, um, because of Bishop's vision, Magneto sends off all of these different teams to do a secret mission and go up against a, a, a bad. You know what I mean? 
Um, and so that's where all the little to mini fix the world. go. To fix right. all of this. That's because right. that's the goal. And it's something that Magneto ends up struggling with throughout all of Age of Apocalypse is that the world he knows is wrong. It's this isn't the right world. And at this point, this isn't just an alternate reality. The M Crime Crystal had rewritten all of reality so that this was the reality. Like that's mm-hmm. the that's the plot of Legion Quest. So Magneto struggles with that, but still makes the sacrificing decision of no, his friend Charles died for all this. So he wants to honor that and he wants to set the world right because he truly believes that the world would be a better place if he had died and Charles Xavier had lived. Like that that's yeah. what he believes. Yeah, which is pretty intense, uh, not only because of his own, uh, you know, desire for self-sacrifice, but because he and Rogue have this uh, this child. Um, they have Charles Jr. Charles Jr.? Not really Charles Jr. Charles Lyncher. Uh Charles, uh, who, you know, wouldn't exist in, in this other universe. So and, it's, and a, they it's know, a big gamble. They know he won't exist. They know that Magneto is... Um, I guess at this point, missing in brain dead, uh, like that's what Bishop knows of Magneto. He knows that after all that, he's gone and Magneto does some bad stuff and he's willing to give up his entire, everything he's ever done because he knows that the dream of a better world will be there. And here's the thing. A lot has been made, especially recently, about Charles Xavier's dream of essentially assimilation and of you know just harmony between humans and mutants and how maybe that's not the best dream but it is better than the genocidal maniac apocalypse taking over the world like i think i think as far as political praxis we can say that <laughs> it's charles xavier yeah. you could improve some of your philosophies and you could work better for mutant kind apocalypse genociding places left and right cannot be like there's we have we have to learn how to accept a good enough thing when we're given two bad options and one of them doesn't involve mass genocide on a global scale (laughs) uh so we are getting the the ramifications of what has happened here and it does not look good um you know, Apocalypse's mutants are in control. Humans are basically being eliminated. and In um, North America specifically, which yes. is where Apocalypse rules, he has not taken over Eurasia or no, Africa. And, you know, or this South was one of the, America. Th- this is one of the, uh, the graphic things that I absolutely loved when the trade paperbacks were coming out. I, I uh, within the last year or so, I collected all of the gold holofoil trade paperbacks um, and on the back of each one, it says in big letters, America is dead, <laughs> period. <laughs> so, you you know something is wrong here. Um, so, by the time we get to the end of Alpha and its uh, beautiful wraparound chromium cover, uh, if you bought that standalone issue, we we get a sense that Magneto is going to send the teams off on their missions. And so, we're going to do something weird right now and just kind of put a pin in that story we'll rank that with omega at the end of the episode and instead we're going to move on to astonishing x-men um which is still uh scott lobdell but now is joined by jeff Loeb, and now we're getting pencils by joe mad yeah uh jeff Loeb does does a bit of uh work on this scott lobdell comes in uh to keep this going and this is it's interesting because this is a small story because while Magneto sends, you know, he sends Nightcrawler off to get Destiny uh, in Excalibur. He sends Generation at Next off to get Ileana. He sends Gambit in the Externals to get the Emicron Crystal. This one, he's like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. It looks like it looks like Apocalypse's son Holocaust is going to gonna destroy Indianapolis. We've, uh, we've got to go... Th- we, I understand we have a mission. We can't let, you know, hundreds of thousands of more people get cold. So he sends a team, and that team is led by Rogue, uh, his wife, mm-hmm. with Sabretooth, 
Wow, child. Blink, morph, and sunfire. And can we, for one second, <laughs> talk about how good Age of Apocalypse Sunfire is? We've definitely mentioned it before on the show, but the design, Yeah, because it's the best look. It's incredible. He looks fantastic. He's wearing... He's wearing like a half kabuki mask with uh, the uh, you know red circle. It's a white mask with a red circle evoking the Japanese flag. Uh, his body is on fire, but in a way that is very separate from like the human torch. Like that's mm-hmm. the that's the trick of that costume. It's he's just an on fire dude, but they have enough detail on it of like shadows that make up his costume that. He looks different and cool. And there's a over-the-top brutal scene in, like, issue two where they talk about, Sunfire, why do you even, why do you care? Uh, Because Apocalypse destroyed all of Japan. He did did murder the entire country of Japan. Um, And then tried to drown Sunfire in the blood of every Japanese citizen. It's rough. It is rough. Also, that's metal as heck. That's like, like if you're gonna do an over the top, like this is grim, dark. Like, yeah, go all the way. Go with a mountain of skulls. Drown a guy in the blood of his entire country. Um, it rules. This ends up it, being a this ends up being a fight essentially between the X Men and Holocaust, who is a new character from this. Had been hinted at in X Men comics in the past. But uh, Holocaust is an interesting character, and he has interesting dynamics with the rest of the team. What do you think, Adam? Well, uh, despite the, the unfortunate name, um, which the name's bad. Get, the name's bad. Uh, it's not great. I understand why they used it, and it's not like Chris Claremont wasn't throwing the word around uh, in his tenure on the X Men either. Um, but anyway, the the character is Apocalypse's son. Um, he's basically like this radioactive blob encased in a translucent armor and uh, a big chunk of this is a battle between him and and Sabretooth and Sabretooth comes out as such a fantastic character in this uh in this arc as this heroic character is sort of the uh the this universe's answer to Wolverine but maybe even more heroic than that um but he's still weird like he's got Wild Child as sort of like this mini me version of him that's ready to go feral at any point. Um, and Wild <laughs> watching, Child, yeah, who was an Alpha Flight character, correct? I I am not. I know he's an Alpha Flight character. I have not read any Alpha Flight, much less late Alpha Flight. Because Wild Child, I believe, is oh no, he's from Alpha Flight number one. Uh, he was a Gamma Flight trainee uh, oh. back in the original thing. I guess, you know, he really doesn't get much play until, like, Alpha Flight 70s, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, where he where he goes through some weird stuff where he, like, has to deal with feeling like he is subhuman and all this stuff. Like, he pops up throughout Alpha Flight, but doesn't get to be a big part until, uh, I believe it's, yeah, that's, oh no, that's not when, when does Lobdell get on the book? Whenever. You know, he, he was know. some, Lobdell used to write Alpha Flight. I'm sure he had feelings about him. Uh, anyway, they bring him over here. And it actually works pretty well, because, uh, he's essentially a wild child on a chain, uh, <laughs> yeah, that Sabretooth just kind of commands like a dog. And Sabretooth, like you said, he's like Wolverine, but even like a little better. Like he even has his obligatory, obligatory teen girl that he's mentoring. Like they even understood, no, Wolverine, we got to have Blink in here so that Sabretooth can have his own Jubilee. Right. And the dynamic between him and Blink is fantastic. Uh, we get a little of the backstory of how she he rescued her. And uh, the the dynamic here of, you know, the team going after Holocaust and, uh, you know, attempting repeatedly to try and kill him um, is just fantastic. And, uh, you know, we finally 
get to the end of this series. It looks like they're successful. And, you know, it's basically like, go read Omega to find out what happens. Because, you know, we've been... Well, I, I should say, they do stop uh, Apocalypse's Infinites uh, from the, the sort of self-generating clones that are being used to, to kill all, all of humanity. Um, they do stop the um, actual genocide processing event. plant. Right. That, yeah. that stops. And it's glorious. The one that's some... just north of, the one that's like in Carmel, uh, Indiana, <laughs> for, for, for those of you who are keeping track. The one that's just right. like, like 20 miles north of downtown Indy. Uh, which I don't believe Scott Lobdell is a Midwestern boy, but I know Mark Wade is from like Muncie, so I I gotta <laughs> imagine that he was like, no, what if what if it was just in Indiana? I think the art here is fantastic. I absolutely love Joe Mad's stuff here. He's being inked by Dan Green and Tim Townsend. Townsend is you know also working with uh, Chris Bocciolo on the Gen X stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's just. It's prime time, baby. Like this art just looks fantastic and it really propels the story. I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with it before we rank it? We brought him up, but Morph, I think, is the secret ingredient to this because Morph adds so much levity to this book that otherwise would be a book where a guy drowns in blood. Hmm. And like that helps it really does help like hold the book together and not feel like overwhelmed by the dark grittiness of everything going on. Like this could have been people think of the, of age of apocalypse and they think of stuff like the Cal and Yost, uh, X force or remender uncanny X force, you know, stuff that is very much like, no, this is important in dark and people are going to die. And now this book makes a lot of jokes constantly. Yeah. Yeah, and it it you're right. It is very self-aware, you know, like the way in which Sabretooth dies, uh, like quote unquote mid book is very similar to, you know, Wolverine's um, uh, death and well, quote unquote death in uh, the Aussie era. And, you know, like there's there's these sort of like parallel things that they're doing that are very much like, hey, you can see what we're doing. We're aware of it and we're going to play with this universe and have, have a good time with it, even if it's pretty savage. Um, so why don't we put this on our big old list? I think this is going to be interesting. I think it'll be interesting too, because we'll get to it when we start comparing things, but I have a feeling this check of age of apocalypse, even though we're ranking it separately, will all fall in similar territory. Yeah, I agree. So we do have a big old list. Uh, there's 546 stories on this list, which Whoa. is so many. Uh, the number one story on our list is the House of X, a Powers of Ten. Uh, the number 100 story on our list is that uh, Cal and Yost, Very Dark X-Force, Angels and Demons at 100. Mm. Number 200 on our list is Power Pack 20. That's the Proto-Inferno. Uh, number 300 is Schism. Number 400 on our list is Amazing Adventures 11 through 16. That's the blue furry bouncing beast origin story uh, of Darkest Nights from Uncanny X-Men 442 and 443 is at number 500 on the list. And the bottom story on the list is the Draco. Okay, so we have an existing Age of Apocalypse story in our top 25 at number 12 That's on generation our list next is generation next which i am still on record as saying i think that's probably the best of the books it um, is it's the most emotionally wrenching of any of them um and, and it's, it's the prettiest it's, it's got the best artwork it's just really really good however i do think that this is definitely at the very least like a top 100 story so i'm curious to know so, from you how high you would want to go i think it's going to be interesting because at 138 is gambit and the externals uh which is our next highest age of apocalypse story the bottom mm-hmm. one is x-man one through four and it's, we'll get to him at some point uh <laughs> i didn't even do the beep beep beeps yet we'll we'll work those in somewhere um but Gambit of the Externals is 138. I think this is a good amount better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think 
Messiah War is at 102, and I mm-hmm. think this is better than Messiah War. Here's where I'm getting... I get somewhat caught up once we get into the hundreds, because I think there's some good stories here, and I think there's stories that are better than this, than Age of Apocalypse. Like, at 75 is the first Genosha arc. Mm-hmm. I think the first Genosha arc is better. I think... Than this particular uh, four-issue arc. Yes, than Astonishing X-Men from the Age of Apocalypse. I do. I think, like... Do you think this is better than, say, the Jungle Adventure from Wolverine? Well, let's see. Where's Jungle That's Adventure? at 81. That's... That's at 81. Just a few I spots do... below. I do think this is better than that. Um, I mean, I absolutely love and adore the Jungle Adventure, and I think it's an amazing piece of artwork. But this is doing something really daring and fun, and uh, it's it's just classic in a way that's unlike just about anything else that was done at the time. I mean, it, it was very, very strange. So um, I I feel like I'm going a little bit higher than you there. I want to I want to hear where you where you think it may go. I mean, because this is I'm, collaborative. This is you and me. Yeah, of coming course. Coming into a synthesis. You know, I'm looking up the list. At 58, we have the first three issues of X-Men Volume 2, Mutant Genesis. And, you know, as classic as that is, I I, I think we're probably in similar territory there, you know? Um, I think Mutant Genesis is better than this. That's got... Here's here's what Mutant Genesis has, Adam. One, it has... An incredible introduction to the X-Men. Like, you want to hand someone a evergreen, like, what is quote-unquote X-Men? You hand them number one. Because what Lee and Claremont do is lay out the X-Men's entire deal in one great issue and follow it up with two more where Claremont goes, and now I'm going to tie this back into some garbage I did in the 70s. And I love it. (laughs) It has its problems. But I love it. I love that. I love that. That's what we remember Claremont going out on instead of the Muir Island saga. Yeah, I'm just uh, looking I think, at. I, I think Mutant I agree Genesis that that's probably, probably a ceiling. That's 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 probably a ceiling for me. But if I'm looking at what's below it, you know, like um, I think Multiple Man Mini is probably better than this. Um, but I can also imagine this going above the. The Hemingway arc of Wolverine. Yeah, this probably 65. does go above the Hemingway. Here's what I'll say. I think you I think you found the spot. I think this goes above Wolverine Blood and Claws. Uh but below the righteous return of you know who from Excalibur 41 through 47. Actually, is, no. I would put it I'd put it above the the Excalibur stuff. I would. Now I'm saying I, this. I would. I I think now that I'm looking at this, I would squeeze it in between multiple man and magic, but magic, mm, that's a tough one. Uh, Cause magic is such like a key introduction to that character. I don't know. This has, what do you think? this has better art. This has it better does art have better magic, art, which the, the problem with the, the key problem with the magic mini series truly is that it has multiple B list artists. Mm hmm. That is true. Okay, so this is going to be our new number 63? This will be our new number 63, Astonishing X-Men Age of Apocalypse. All right, so what's next? uh, Now you got to be amazed uh, by (laughs) the other team of X-Men. No, no, no. I I actually, I love it when they steal amazing from Spider-Man for things. (laughs) Like... As much as I didn't like the series, uh, I loved that they called the Age of X-Man Nightcrawler series the Amazing Nightcrawler. Uh-huh. Like yeah. <laughs> it told you, it told you what Nightcrawler was supposed to be in that universe, and what I think Nightcrawler can and should be in the Marvel universe itself, which is he he can be Spider-Man but blue and cool. Um, 
but this is the amazing X-Men. It's uh, by my personal best friend, Fabian Nisiesa, uh with pencils. By, we haven't pulled out that one in a while, have we? <laughs> we talk about we talk about Fabes a lot. I don't think I've pulled out my personal best friend in a spell. <laughs> Andy Hubert. Andy Hubert pencils this one. Uh, Matt Ryan is inking them. It's four issues. And as weird of a team as the astonishing team is... I almost feel like this team is weirder. Oh, this team's way weirder. Come on. I it's think P- I think it's... the reason I think the reason why this team is weird. So the amazing team is these are people that aren't supposed to be X-Men, right? Right. More or less. Yeah. Sure. The amazing team is mostly like these are people who are supposed to be X-Men, but this is a weird X-Men team, right? It really is. So we've got Quicksilver. Uh, we have a very interesting, weird version of Dazzler. Um, we have a, a, a like sort of out of control power version of Iceman, um, a streamlined version of Storm. We have Banshee uh, and Exodus, who is radically different than who we see him in the six one six. Did I miss He's anybody? Dating Dazzler? No, that's that's the that's the core of this team. And they are on a separate mission. So while the Astonishing Team was stopping the Infinite Processing Plant in Holocaust, one of Apocalypse's four horsemen, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, over in Indianapolis, uh, these, these X-Men go to the East Coast to help let Sentinels into the U.S. Sentinels sent from the Human High Council over in Europe. Uh, they We don't see them in these. They hang out in Big Ben that's been... Semi-demolished. It's kind of great there, too. uh, Because they're trying to get all the humans out of America before they nuke it. Because they're they're kind of out of options to destroy Apocalypse's, you know, threat to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So these X-Men kind of go undercover to try and let everybody through and save save the humans. Uh, On the way, they meet Abyss. Who is another oh one of the horsemen. And Abyss is weird. <laughs> You're, you remember Abyss? Nightcrawler's brother? Oh my god. From the Draco. <laughs> From the Draco. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, each one of these minis has their own sort of like secret mission. But they also have their own secret... Uh, not secret, but they all have their own big bad. And in a lot of cases... They all the have big... their own final boss. Right. It's great. They, yes. Um, this actually has two two final bosses, and we'll get to the second one in a second. But, um, uh, well, Abyss is still the big final boss. But Abyss is just basically like a bunch of loosely tangled ribbons that's connected by a head. And if he sucks you in, he like... It, it's very similar to... Um, oh, Cloak? That, who's the character from um, the show? Oh, no, no, no. The, the, the person who like eats your... The soul soul skinner, remember the soul skinner? From, oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, very yeah. very similar to that, um, except he's just this like tangle of ribbons, and um, every time the ribbons move, they go frip 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 frip. Um, which, okay, um, so they have to battle against. They have this sort of mission impossible thing where they have to switch the 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 sensors inside of these sentinels, which it's also implied that the sentinels are androids, which is very strange. They're much more human uh, than we're used to so that it doesn't kill these X-Men. Yeah. Uh, They're later able to fool them with a logic puzzle, which I love um, (laughs) and, and rescue the people. Um, And then, uh, after they think they've defeated Abyss, they have to then go save Bishop from the Madri, who we have not talked about yet. The Madri are a cult um, <laughs> of Madrox dupes <laughs> that Apocalypse took Jamie Madrox hostage and just beat him up until there were about a billion dupes, and they were all so weak that they could be manipulated into doing apocalypse's bidding mm-hmm. it's pretty cool <laughs> it's a great it's bit pretty cool uh and they do manage to rescue bishop and a lot of the last issue is just sort of transitioning you into um 
Omega, right? I mean, well, it's 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 interesting, and this is this is why we struggled with how to break this up because the you get Alpha, and then the first issue of Astonishing has everyone still at the mansion, like it takes place right after Alpha, and it's setting up some of the stakes, and then the mm-hmm. end of Amazing sets you up like everyone's now back from their mission, about to do the stuff at Omega. Right. And, and in this between is... Alpha and Omega, there's a ongoing or Alpha and well, amazing and astonishing, excuse me. There's an ongoing subplot uh which also gets followed up in Gambit in the Externals about baby Charles Lencher getting kidnapped by Apocalypse and also Apocalypse fighting Magneto and then also kidnapping Bishop. So it's it's very interconnected even if all of these minis are really about these X-Men going on one mission to fight one boss to get ready for the big mission at the end. I And I, I have to compliment them because, you know, um, I think when we ranked Gamba in the externals, uh, one of the things that we noted was that the the first half of the mini seemed kind of disjointed with the, the second half. But if you do read the entire event in publishing order, it's fascinating to see how well connected everything is. You know, like it, it is. It's weirdly fascinating how like tight that is. Right. And that's not easy to do, uh, given the number of people that are involved here. Now, uh, for this particular four issue thing, I think that Kubert's art is not nearly as as good as the Joe Mad stuff that we were just talking about. Um, I don't think it helps. Um, I, I, I don't know if. Ryan is his normal inker. Um, I would have to I'm go not back. Familiar with him as a as an as an inker. Yeah, um, and I don't know if that's part of it, but it, it does feel a little more rushed than we normally see from Andy. And I think that you know, it unfortunately the story suffers a little bit in places. Um, there's weird things like uh, uh, two page spreads where you have to turn the book, which. <laughs> are fun sometimes but they don't really inform the storytelling here very much not i love them i love i i wrote a review actually recently praising a story for using them Mm -hmm. um but also they need to be used in discretion yes yeah uh because they physically force a reader to reorient themselves um and if you just use them for no good reason, it's bad, and I don't like it. Um, that was that was my Wolverine review. Uh, if y'all want to go check that out, that was by uh, Adam Kubert. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, he's... Matt Ryan did ink uh, Andy from uh, X Men twenty five through thirty seven, so or through forty four, so right before this. But yeah, okay. I I guess so I don't they're... associate him with. Yeah, maybe they're just both under the gun here. Um, you know, it does feel like they're, you know, pedal to the metal trying to get this book done. Um, uh-huh. And it's not, I, I want to be clear, it does not look bad by any stretch. It just no. looks more rushed than an Andy Kubert comic usually does for this era. Um, so I, I think that the story as a whole kind of suffers because of that. And uh, I don't think this is as good as Astonishing. Well, I think the big thing on this is the team dynamic here just isn't as strong. Like, Storm uh, is underwritten. Mm -hmm. I think Quicksilver, they have an interesting dynamic where he has the same uh, inferiority complex with his dad that he does in the real world when Magneto is his dad. And even a lot of the times when he's not his dad, to be be frank. Um, Right. But I also feel like i don't know like this whole team here Iceman's a super cool design banshee looks awesome he's got like a sinister cape banshee's he's fine it's not my favorite (laughs) i think these designs are among the besides the Iceman one which is frankly just the lee weeks design from that one uh issue of x-men where emma steals his body more or it's less, pretty, like, it's pretty similar. Yeah, it's uh, it's what if what if that cool design was what Iceman always looked like? 
And and uh, you would you would be forgiven if you thought looking at the Dazzler that it was just crystal from the Inhumans. You know, it's not that dissimilar. Yep. Um, so I agree. There's there's a blandness to this um, in terms of like sort it, of the really it, radical looks that we see elsewhere. I almost I almost feel like this book more than any other book in Age of Apocalypse is the book where they stuff the plot points that they need to get through. Like it's it's mm-hmm. cool that there is a Magneto in Apocalypse fight, but that feels very much like they are shifting gears for half an issue mm-hmm. to make sure that that beat gets in there because it's in service of the larger Age of Apocalypse plot, not because it makes amazing X-Men better. Yeah, no, I would agree. I, I think that aside from this, the mission that they're on, the stakes don't feel as high as they do in fighting uh, Holocaust in um, Astonishing. You know, Abyss is just not as interesting a villain as, as you know, characters like Sugar Man, um, you know, are in, in other minis. So um, Abyss has got def- a great design, though. They should use him again. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can see him being really cool in different artists' hands. And, and you know it's it's a fun character um he does use a lot of pop culture references which makes brings up some interesting questions about like what actually happened in the timeline <laughs> leading up to this but just shut up <laughs> just shut up don't worry about it okay? don't, don't ask just, too many questions <laughs> yeah no don't no i i agree it's probably below astonishing um i do think it's better than gambit and the externals though I do think it's better than Gambit in the externals. On this particular one, I'm looking at where this might fall. Because this is not my favorite Age of Apocalypse. I mean, this is this is late in Fabian Nicieza's time on the X-Men. Uh, oh, yeah. No, he's out of there, man. He's like, he, peace. He knows, he knows it's up. Uh, Isn't he listed I, as plotter on the fourth issue? Let me look. I think I'm almost positive he's this. not listed as writer. He hadn't been fired from X-Men on this. He gets fired from... Because he gets fired from X-Force during Age of Apocalypse, essentially. Yeah. like Fabian, I'm just showing you, uh, Zach, this on the on the camera. He's, plot. Yeah, he just listed his plot. Um, <laughs> which... Which means Bob Harris wrote that last issue, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're, pretty much. They're like, Bob, uh, friggin' Jeff, uh, <laughs> shoot, Mark, Scott, can, can can we just get this one out the door? Fabian put it in, and he's saying, you got my scripts. I don't know. I'm sure if we asked Fabian again, he'd tell us the truth. He's the he's a very honest person because he doesn't need the work. Nope. He's, um, he's humble, humble to a fault. Uh, I do think I agree better than Gambit in the externals. Um, I, do you I think, think this is better than the first arc of Ultimate X Men? Which is the that? Tomorrow People, one ten. Oh, I wasn't. I don't think I was going to go that high. I don't think I was going to okay. go that high because, like, at one twenty five, we have Acts of Vengeance on Kenny X Men. At one twenty six, we got that Acts of Vengeance story where Magneto throws Red Scroll into a hole. That is better than this. Yeah. Age of uh, 127 is Age of X-Men Extremists. Um, I'm biased, but I like that one better. I, I think I do, too. Um, I do think I like this better than Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, though, at 128. Okay. We can we can trade one Qbert story for another. All right, cool. So this is going to be our new 128. And now that we've ranked those two, let's talk about Omega and see where... Uh, where the bookends go. Omega, uh, which is Scott Lobdell and Mark Wade uh, mm-hmm. with Roger Cruz. Omega's wild, I think, because it takes these eight different plot threads that, while they more or less wrapped up each story, they're still very active. Like, there's still something they have to resolve. Like, they have the MacGuffin. Now they have to use it and utilize right. it. Yep. That's a you're you're absolutely right because not only do you get all the teams from all the different books coming back together, but they actually have to go they have to use Ileana and Destiny to go into the Macron Crystal to get Bishop back to rewrite the timeline. And X-Man is there to like wait. kick the crap Wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, what what did you just say, Adam? Sorry, you broke up there. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I said that they use Ileana and Destiny. It's an X-Men update. You remember at the end of the Age of Apocalypse X-Men story when we talked about that? Yes. And he killed Sinister and flew away. He's like, now I'm going to get revenge on Apocalypse. He does. That's his He does. He sure does kick Apocalypse in the jaw and say, this one's for Forge. Man, he loved Forge so much. Oh, this is dad. Oh, poor guy. Anyway, but because this isn't his story, he can't be the one to defeat Apocalypse. He no. Does, he does that thing where you get into a fight and then he gets distracted by a different fight. So he fights Holocaust and he takes a shard of the Emkron crystal and stabs it into Holocaust. And then they both get transported back into the 616 and it rules. Um, it's it's bad that we have to deal with X-Men now, but that scene kind of does own. Because that's a... <laughs> That's the thing about this. There are a bunch of plot points, and they kind of all, like, they nail the landing in a way that they shouldn't be able to. No, they shouldn't be able to, because you've got X-Men fighting Apocalypse. You also have Jean Grey telepathically blocking out the nukes, which are coming from, uh, from Europe. Right, because essentially they've decided... Right, from the Wolverine series, or the Weapon X series. They're going to get blown to smithereens. So they know that the the nuclear explosion is going to come and wipe all of them out. So can they get Bishop back in time to rewrite the ending of Legion Quest to get the 616 back on track? And it works. And at the same time, you have great beats that still land in here... uh, with things like Angel deciding that he can't be a bystander anymore. He has to right. choose a side. And he's yep. going to choose the side of the Angels. Mm-hmm. You have the Summers brothers fighting and killing each other. You Well, one of them killing one and then Wolverine killing the uh, Weapon X, excuse me. There is a Wolverine in Age of Apocalypse, but the less said about him, the better. It's from Chronicles. Don't worry about it. We're not ranking that for a while, I don't think. Uh the guy with one hand does stab Havoc and says, yeah, you're dead now because you just killed your brother. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll get to Factor X at some point. That Havoc sucks. It's awesome. Um, but they they land that. They land the MacGuffin. Like, they, e- they even add another heart-wrenching emotional beat to Generation Next mm-hmm. where there's a part where Colossus has realized so much that he sacrificed to get his sister and he's like, I, I can't let her, after all I've been through, I can't do this. And Gambit tries to stop him and then gets knocked out of the way. And Shadowcat says, Peter, we have to do this. You have to stop, my love. And he keeps running, trying to get to her, his sister. And she doesn't phase because she believes in their love that he will stop. And he, he doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> and it's it's another like twist of the knife from all of the trauma of Generation Next. Yeah, like they get the heroics from the X Men books. Like they get everything that the event was, and they put it into this oversized issue. Yeah, and it really would have been easy for them to just say, "We got Bishop back," and Bishop fixes the situation so Legion doesn't kill Charles. And just call it a day. But they very intelligently go back to the AOA for the last couple of pages and end the story there with Magneto literally ripping Apocalypse in half. And then everybody just sort of waiting for the bombs to drop and kill them. Well, because they don't, they don't know. They don't know if it worked. They don't. They're doing all of this based on the hope that this is going to all work out. Right. And... The fact that they are willing to sacrifice anything for a chance at a better world, it really makes the story work in a way that it shouldn't. Because this is a stupid, grim, dark thing <laughs> where people have dumb face tattoos. Like, this should not be a story that ends with emotional resonance of Magneto and Rogue staring out into the abyss, accepting that, you know... They believe they've done some good, but they will never really know if any of this was worth it. But they they know that they made a choice for the betterment of their world, and they think that things are going to be, you know, 
they they believe it was the right one. Yeah. And I like it a lot. It's I think good. it's amazing. I think it's amazing. And it's funny because they, they kind of do a similar thing at the end of Legion Quest to try and really like drum up all these emotions and make you feel like it's the end of the world. You know that it's not going to be the end of the world for those characters, that those characters are going to come back in that form. But this version of these characters, you have to say goodbye to them. And it really, really just... it. I think if we're judging both of these together, it's a really landmark um, choice to shut down the books and reintroduce the universe in this way and do it successfully so that you introduce the world in a way that all of these miniseries are actually going to make sense. And like you said, they stick the landing. It's pretty impressive. It's, It's impressive that Alpha truly does present like a pretty well-formed world. Yes. Like from Jump Street, you mm-hmm. flesh it out with these minis. You flesh out these characters. And unlike a lot of a lot of alternate universe stories end with the character saying, well, that was a weird thing we all remember. Yeah. And then going on with their lives. Age of X-Men did that uh, as much as I enjoy it. Age mm-hmm. of X did that. The recent Jason Aaron Heroes Reborn, for example, did exactly that. Like, this is a tried-and-true superhero trope. And what Age of Apocalypse posits is, at the end of the day, no, their lives and their realities were just as real as the 616 stuff. And if they're saying we're going to eliminate our world to save this one, then you actually have to lose these characters. You actually have to feel... The sacrifice, and I will give them credit for like five years. They let you lose that. I mean, they kept a few things over. They brought over X Man and Holocaust and mm-hmm. Sugar, Sugar Man and Dark Beast, mm-hmm. but like they were none of them were like the stars of Age of Apocalypse. They were mostly here's some new villains we can pull in, right. and also Nate Gray. Yeah, weird choice. I get it because his book sold well and it made sense and they continued running that thing for 75 issues. So weird. So weird. Um, Cannot understand it. I'm going to say something bold here though. I think that this is better than Astonishing um, which was at 63. Yeah. I actually, I agree with that. I think, I think, so I'm... I am almost viewing this as like a Lord of the Rings, Return of the King-esque placement. Sure. Uh, in that in that, it is more of a summation of the quality of the event as a whole mm-hmm. com- instead of these two issues. Because like, there's no other good way to sum it up. Because the Age of Apocalypse actually is good. And right. If you don't, if you if you've been putting it off because it feels weird, no, go read it. Is it '90s as heck? Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But this is the dream of the '90s. This is the stuff that the image guys wanted to do, but never really got in the same way. Like, how many times did they try and pull off a big old '90s crossover? Mm-hmm. How many how many spectacular failures did they have? This is a success. Yeah, well, and it's just pushing the envelope so much further, right? I mean, I just got done talking about uh, Executioner's song with uh, Chris and Christie, and, um, you know, that is like an action adventure to the max story, but it's still not pushing the envelope in a way that is even a fuck effect. Oh, I got to edit that out. Uh, <laughs> affecting the publishing schedule um, in this radical way. So um, I think it's really successful. Now, the question is, how high does it go? I still I'm don't gonna... think this is better than Generation Next. Do you? No, 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 no. Generation, Generation Next is a singular work compared to this. Like Generation Next rules. I do think this... So, number 50 is Marvel's number two. Mm-hmm. And I think this is better than that. I would say that this is better than our top-ranking Inferno story at 44. Like, I think Age of Apocalypse is a better crossover, pound for pound, than Inferno. I'm mm-hmm. I'm comfortable saying that. Yep. I think this is better than number 42, X-Men Grand Design, which, frankly, low high. 
little yeah. high as I've gotten older. Okay. Uh, I don't think at 37, Havoc and Wolverine X-Man, or Meltdown. I think Meltdown's better than this. And I struggle, I struggle between Grand Design and Meltdown only because there are some fan favorites, like some personal favorites of mine in there. At 38, you have Generation X 1 through 3. 39 is Wolverine and the X-Men 17, which is Jason Aaron getting out of Mike Allred's way. Uh, Number 40 is New Mutants Dead Souls. Number 41 is Age of X-Men Prisoner X. I need your thought and guidance, Adam. Because (laughs) I'm too close to at least two of these stories. Because I love Dead Souls and I love Prisoner X. I do. I love them. I think I would go even higher than that. This is uh, definitely better than the Mike Allred, Allred Wolverine and the X-Men dupe issue at 39. I mm-hmm. do. I agree that I struggle a little bit with whether this is better than the first three issues of Gen X, uh, just because I'm such a, a, a Chris Bocciolo fan. Um, but it probably is. It probably but I'm looking, is, right? Yeah, I'm just from, you know, just from a story perspective, I keep looking up the list and going, well, I think this is actually better than... I don't think we could say, realistically, that this is better than, like, at 29, the Brood Saga. I don't think that it is as quite as emotionally devastating as What If Magic at 33... Um, but I can see it better than Uncanny 200 at 36. I don't, okay. All right, let, I'm going to say my ceiling is at 35 life death. But even I, that has the ROM stuff. What? It does have, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Okay, 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 okay. My, my hard ceiling is 33. What if magic? What if magic is better? I agree. What if magic is better? What if magic is a comic that one singular panel of it can Kills like, break me. me? I agree. So good. Oh my gosh. Philippe, if you haven't been, y'all know Leah. Leah's great. Leah's a friend of the show. Leah does great work there. But Felipe Andrade is doing such incredible work in that comic. And if you are not reading Andrade and Ram V's The Many Lives of or The Many Deaths of Layla Starr that just wrapped up last week. Please go read that comic. It is one of my favorite comics of the year. It's absolutely fantastic. It's from Boom. It's five issues. It's so good. I need you to read it because I need more people to talk about it with because I love this comic. Come yeah. on. Um, regardless, I think... Is this, is this better or worse than... The time that Mysterio tried to get revenge on the X-Men and then Scott got married at the end. At Uncanny X-Men 174 and 175. Yes. Then that's where it stays. It's at 34, and we're not going to argue it anymore. Um, It's Age of Apocalypse, Alpha and Omega, but really we're talking about Age of Apocalypse here. Man, good stuff. That was a lot of fun. I like the Age of Apocalypse a lot. I liked it when I was a kid, just reading about it, because I, I've i said it a billion times. I was the equivalent of the kid who pays attention to superhero comics by reading Wikipedia articles. <laughs> Wikipedia didn't exist when I was that that age. I'm not that young, Adam. But I know, I know, I know. I do remember when Wikipedia was first like around and I was like oh this is neat oh I can I can learn a lot about the fall of the Prussian Empire now oh my god that was your first uh I, first article link <laughs> no no my that. first my first article here's here's what opened Wikipedia to me and it's how it clicked hmm. they had a Wikipedia entry for Homestar Runner ah. and <laughs> I was young enough at the time to be like wait they have detailed information about this dumb cartoon <laughs> on the internet? That's oh, funny. they have everything. This is an everything website. <laughs> That's great. That was good. That was a good episode. Glad we did it. I want to thank Jay Van Veen uh, for suggesting that we enter the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, 
it was great. If you want to be like Jay, the Patreon, uh, please support it. It helps keep the show going. It helps pay all of the great writers at Comics XF. Uh, and we just like doing it. We like we like seeing it. You get cool rewards. Like you can uh, you can get an episode of whatever you want. Like the next the next episode we're gonna do, which is all about a specific what if story. Hmm. Um, we didn't time this for Roy the Boys uh, what if show. Good but timing. It, it is happening during it. Yeah, great timing on yeah. our end. Kind of accidental. Um, oh, absolutely by mistake. Hey Adam, <laughs> what you got going on right now? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at uh, Arthur Stacy. Um, I just started one of those uh, Ko-Fi things or coffee. I don't know how you're supposed to say it. Ko dash I think it's. I think it's Kofi, but it's Kofi? it's it's the know. dumb Silicon Valley speak of hey, <laughs> you can give Adam three dollars and buy him a coffee. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. If you go that route, I don't drink coffee. I drink Coke Zero, but um, I could definitely get cooks here for a couple bucks but i'm also uh doing commissions right now so uh if anybody's interested in just getting like a quick sketch or uh want something a little bit more uh in depth just hit me up um and please uh, do adam adam's a fantastic artist and i am so happy uh to see his stuff we haven't mentioned it on the show in a while but adam's name came up in a casual conversation with people who didn't know that he was one of my good friends I say casual conversation. It was online on a Discord server I was screwing around with. And they were like, oh, I didn't know. I know Adam was a podcast host. I didn't know that he did art. And I got mad for a second. And I realized, (laughs) no, this is just another person who gets to experience Bish and Jubes for the first time, which is the uh, comic that Adam did. That's like (laughs) a graphic novel length fan X-Men comic that rules. I just sent somebody a link to it the other day. Uh, So, hey, who knows? Hopefully one day I'll make some more comics. Um, and what did you say we're doing next week, Zach? Uh, we're doing some what if stuff. Awesome. Uh, here's the dirty little secret to our listeners. As of recording, we have the episode that was requested and then two blank spots because we're scratching our heads. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll be there. We'll be fine by Tuesday. But until then, this is Ben Valley Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!